0: Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You'll have to bear with me. I've got some frogs jumping around in my throat this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to read the entire chapter beginning here in verse 1. This is God's living and active word to us. so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, even as we have just sung, we do ask that you would show us the glory of your Son, Jesus. That you would bring your word even in power, in the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. That your people. Would be built up, strengthened in faith, hope, and love, even as we gaze upon the sufficiency of our Savior, your Son Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you have, by your grace, brought us even to this place this morning. And we are anticipating that you will do your work among us, that you will continue to work among us, even according to your promises, that you will begin, that you will complete the work that you have begun in us. I do pray for the other churches in this region as they gather to preach. I pray in particular for Fairview Baptist and for Grace Church of Cochrane as the word is heralded from those pulpits this morning as the saints gather to sing and pray and to encourage one another. I pray that there would be a great gospel witness that would resound forth from them. And all this for your glory. We do pray for the various leaders that you have put over us, for our prime minister, premier, for the mayor of the city, for other elected officials, and ask, Lord, that you would cause it to be so that you would bring the gospel to them, that you would, you would be so kind as to put in their pathway men and women who have the full conviction of the gospel and would declare it and even would exemplify it even in their actions. So we pray for the salvation of these individuals and that you would even restrain them from doing what is wicked and contrary to your will, that they would truly be servants of the living and true God. And Lord, we do recognize that we are a people. We feel the afflictions that are upon us, much of which is due to our own sin, but sometimes to the sins against us and, and other times just to the fact that we live in the world that is under the curse and is groaning for the day of redemption. And so I pray that you would give comfort. Lord, we do ask for comfort in particular for the Fontanilla family, for Grace and her family as they mourn the loss of Grace's brother. Draw near to them and give them the comfort of the gospel. Help them to rest even in the hope that they have been secured and saved from the wrath to come. And so, Lord, now we ask that you would meet us, attend to the preaching of your word. May it be done in the power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction for the edification of your church, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are what we could call mimetic creatures. That is, we imitate and we learn and we grow by imitation. And others imitate us. So parents, you know that you're always being watched by your children, right? Your children learn how to speak good words and not-so-good words by watching you. Uh, They learn facial expressions from their parents. Young athletes, they grow in skill by imitating the veteran players on the field and in the rink. Uh, New recruits in the army, they observe and they replicate the methods of battle-tested soldiers. It's a reminder that we are always under observation, which is a a sobering reminder for us. People are watching us. The world is watching us. And as Christians, of course, God has put into us a desire that we would be a people who would be ones that are imitators of God, that others around us would see and say, that's a person who knows the Lord, who follows the Lord. They're, They're a person worth imitating. If you will, we want our lives to be a template of the gospel, a template that follows the very pattern of life that Christ himself lived as the trailblazer. Well, we see here that the Thessalonian church was a church that was imitating the Lord, and as such, we can call them a typical church. A typical church. Now, often when we use that word typical, we don't use it in a positive way, right? We think of, oh, that's so typical of that person, in a negative way. But actually, when we think of a typical church, we think of it in a positive manner. That the Thessalonian church is an exemplary church. And so in this prayer of thanksgiving that Paul and Silvanus, who is usually called Silas, and Timothy give to this church, they point out the different ways that the Thessalonians are in fact a typical church in an atypical context. Look there at verses 6-7. through where these missionaries say, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia in Achaia. That word example there is the word you've heard mentioned from this pulpit many times is the word tupos from which we get our English word type or typical. In other words, The idea here is that they are a template church. They're an exemplary church in the region, a church that is imitating not only the Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy, but the Lord himself. And as such, they are worth imitation. And it's amazing that you think that even today, the testimony of the Thessalonians' typical church is actually building up and being followed by believers around the world, including you. This church that was planted by Paul and Silas on Paul's second missionary journey, which you can read about in Acts 17. When they came there with the gospel, many Gentiles in that city responded in faith to the gospel. And immediately, they faced very fierce opposition from the Jews. And so Paul and his team of uh, leaders of gospel missionaries, they had to leave town very quickly because their lives were at risk. But this church had become very dear to them, even after only spending a few weeks there. This church had become very dear to these missionaries, and so Timothy had been sent back. Timothy, the pastor, had gone back, and he'd done a bit of a reconnaissance work. He had taken a look, and he had been observing what was going on in the Thessalonian church. He was doing a spiritual inventory, if you will, of these people. And when he returned to Paul and Silas, he brought back an amazingly encouraging report of this church that they were a people noted for their work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in response to this positive report from Timothy, Paul and Silas and Timothy together, they write this letter to this Thessalonian church, and its letter was designed specifically and primarily for the sake of the encouragement of this church. They wanted to give them encouragement and to bring about a reassurance among these believers that they, in fact, were safe and secure in the love of the triune God. Even as they faced many afflictions from their enemies. Even as they faced the reality of the death of some of their loved ones. And, of course, the temptations of their own sinful flesh. Paul is writing to remind them that we see here evidence of God at work in you, and so take encouragement from this. Press on. Keep at what you're keeping at. Encouragement is a powerful tool. I remember uh, hearing Mark Dever once note that especially for young pastors, encouragement is one of the most powerful ways that you can use in your discipleship to see people built up and even turning from their sin. And so... To, uh, to follow the wisdom of an older pastor. I want to do just that because actually I feel like it, it replicates this very text, what this text, what Paul and Silas and Timothy intend for the churches to hear, even for you to hear this morning. I want the main thrust of this message to be one of encouragement, of encouragement to the members here of Calvary Grace Church because when I remember you, I see the marks of what I would say is a typical church in an atypical context. Now you notice there, very beginning, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, verse 1. You see that this letter is written by a team of leaders, of missionaries. And so, this week I did something a little bit different. I conscripted the help of... Uh, the other elders, and giving some application because what I wanted is to, to sort of echo this text in that it's coming from a team of leaders to this particular church. That is, I got some of them to give me some feedback and evidences of ways that they see God at work in you. And so throughout this message, my desire is to bring those up to remind you of all the ways that God is at work among you. And the ways that even us, your pastors, see God at work among you. And this for your encouragement and even for your reassurance that you are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to go away strengthened. I want you to go away assured of God's love for you. So this morning, there are three main features of a typical church church that I, and I would say even the other elders here, the other pastors, thank God for when we remember you, Calvary Grace Church. So first, we thank God because you work hard to exhibit Christian virtue. Secondly, you receive the word with spiritual joy in much affliction. And third, you witness to the world while you wait for Jesus to return. So those are the three. And amazingly, friends, I actually kept the outline that you have in your bulletin. So usually... I end up changing that about Saturday night, but it's actually the same in your bulletin, so you can follow along. So first, Calvary Grace Church, we thank God because you are a typical church that works hard to exhibit Christian virtue. You see there in verse 2, Paul says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now it was convicting to me, even as you see in this text, how constantly this church was on the minds of these leaders. Godly leaders, they think of, they remember, they they think much of the people that are under their care. And you see that with Paul and Silas and Timothy. They think of, and they also thank God for, those people because they are God's people. They're not just our people. They are primarily God's people, which is why then Paul and Silvanus and Timothy are giving thanks and why they call them to mind. And So I I was even, as I said, convicted of this, that even this coming year, I want to be even a leader among you who would imitate these men, Paul and Silas and Timothy, in having you all on my mind and bringing you to the Lord, to God our Father, in prayer more regularly. Now you'll notice also something, though, important about the nature of the church. Paul, Savannah, and Timothy write to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, We give thanks to God always for all of you and remember before God your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. So the first thing to remind ourselves of is that A true church, which is marked out in a local church, even like the Thessalonians were a local church, it is one whose primary identity, whose primary security is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you will, we are Calvary Grace Church of Calgary, but our true spiritual location is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where you actually reside. That's your primary identity. But you also see here that this church has well-defined borders to its membership, don't you? See, these leaders, they know and they are able to thank God for all of you. That is, they actually have real people in mind. It's, it's not just some vague group of people out there. They know, you know, Jack and Jill over here, and Joe over there, and Sandy over there. They know who these people are. They're defined. It's a well-defined membership, and such that they are able to give thanks to God for them because they are exhibiting even the fruit of being in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, namely the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you'll notice that the thanksgiving and the direction of that thanksgiving is absolutely key for understanding everything else in this text. We give thanks to god you see it is true that believers must exhibit good works that come from faith and labor that comes from love and endurance that comes from their hope in christ so it's not just this let go let god type of idea of sanctification there's an activity here and yet the reason they thank god is because they recognize that the source of anything good in that church comes from god and the same is true about you any work of faith Any labor of love, any steadfastness of hope is something that God is producing in you, which then renders us that we have to give thanks to God for you. It's his work. See, one of the remarkable features of this prayer, even as it looks to the example of the Thessalonians, is that all behind it and under it is this remarkable emphasis on the believer's secure position, as I said, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And even, he's going to talk later about the Spirit who works powerfully through the preaching of the Word. You see, it is the operation of the triune God that brings about any kind of faith and the fruit of faith in the believer. One of the encouragements that uh, one of your pastors would have for you this morning is that As he looks out and sees you and remembers you, he said that he sees a people who have been changed not by behavior modification, but by the Spirit. You have been a people who have been changed not by behavior modification, not through some program, not through some formula, but by the Spirit. And so we give thanks to God for you. We give thanks to God for you for that. Though Christian virtues come from God, and they begin in this inner life, they don't stay hidden, though, do they? They work themselves out in real time in relationships. There is, if you will, a rigor to the Christian life. There's a reason why Paul says it is a work of faith and a labor of love and steadfastness of hope. Faith, hope, and love are not passive qualities. They produce self-giving, persevering, hard-working Christians who give of themselves, who even die to themselves every day for the good of others in the service of God. Another one of your pastors, as a means to encourage you, he noted that he is so thankful that when he remembers you, he considers your cheerful generosity. I've had the privilege of kind of surveying over numbers for the last week here. Maybe it's not a privilege for a lot of people. But I've had the privilege of surveying over, and I say it's a privilege because when I look at those numbers of our budget and what we brought in last year in 2022, what I see there is evidence of God at work in you. That God has freed you up from being so Consumed with material things that you are so consumed with the mission that you want to give and give and give It's a mark of God's work in you It's evidence of your faith and hope that you are not setting your hope on the uncertainty of riches But on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy See love requires labor and so it is true that typical churches exemplary churches are going to be very tired churches. I don't know, do any of you feel tired in what it takes to love? What it takes to love these people in this room? People who are different than you. People who have all sorts of different preferences, different convictions, on all manner of things, politics, COVID, and otherwise. And we've seen that over the last couple years especially, it takes a lot of work It's a labor to love. It's a labor to love. And yet we do so, and it's evidence of God at work in you. Another one of the pastors, he gives thanks as he remembers your labors of love in the way that many of the new folks here, in particular, have pressed into meaningful church membership. You've loved not only in word and in deed, but also in deed and in truth. You've visited homes. You've taught Sunday school and given yourself to care for the children in the nursery. You've shoveled the church courtyard and sidewalks. You've taken meals to those in need. You've made phone calls to confess your sin to others that you've wronged. You've shared the burdens and the loss of family members and jobs. All these examples could be multiplied. We've been stretched in our love to the breaking point. but I praise God that people with even with different views on politics and COVID, like I said, that you're still here. You still sing the same songs together. You still come to the prayer meeting together. You still take communion together. It's a labor of love. Evidence of God's work in you. And many of you are enduring in hope. Enduring in hope is looking forward to the future promises of God and the security you have in Christ. Even as the present that your eyes see just looks dismal. Looks like it's a dead end. And for this reason, brothers and sisters, you should have confidence then that you are secure in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, which brings me then to a second feature that I see typified in you. So first, we thank God that you are a people who uh, that you are a people who exhibit Christian virtue. But secondly, I thank God that you are a typical church because you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Look at what Paul says in verse four and following. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us. And of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Now, notice once again something important. I I mentioned it earlier that the Thessalonian church had well defined borders. They were willing, a people who were willing to be even what I'd say is examined by their leaders. Notice here, Paul and Savannah and Timothy, they say, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. How do they know that? Well, Timothy had just gone there, and he had been observing things. He had been talking to people. They were an open book to him. They weren't trying to hide things. And so, Timothy can bring back the report, and now they say, Well, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Here's all the evidence. They can't say that about every single person in Thessalonica, can they? They can't. But they do know that for each of those individuals who together make up that church, that they are people, that they are brothers loved by God and chosen by Him. So really then what we see worked out here is that there is then a process even to giving assurance of salvation to a local church. You see that there? The leaders must know, they even must examine the people for evidence that they are truly in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this evidence is seen in their work of faith in their labor of love and their steadfastness of hope. And so seeing this then, Paul, Silas, and Timothy give this public affirmation to the church that they indeed should know, they should know and be encouraged and reassured that they are loved by God and chosen by him. And of course, what this means then, first of all, is that the leaders of a church have to be among their people so they can know them. We can't do our job as pastors just from a computer screen. We have to know you. On the other hand, what this requires as well is transparency. It requires some transparency. That is, there needs to be a willingness to even be examined To even have an inventory of your life, if you will. There's something of a spiritual inventory that these men were keeping of this church. And so I ask you, are you willing to be examined by the pastors of this church? How can we give thanks to God for you if you never allow your pastors to examine your life? See, a typical local church has well-defined membership that is transparent with their lives, doesn't try to hide things, and so as they are transparent, then the leaders are able to look around and see and give you encouragement and say, press on, you're doing great, keep believing. You should know that you are loved and chosen by God. So the pastors need to be among their people, but the people also need to be transparent and willing to be examined. And so that's why... Church membership is not just a show up and sign up event. That's why we have a process. We don't have a chapter, verse, and number, but we have these things that together when you read through them, you see, oh yeah, the assurance of salvation that is given to a church does not come just because a person says, oh yeah, well, no, I'm good, I'm in. No, there's a process in place here. There's a process of examination of the evidence even. And I would just say to you, so maybe, you, maybe you're not willing to be examined. Maybe you're not willing to go through the process. Well, I encourage you to wrestle with this text. And for those of you who maybe have, you know, gone partway through the process or have expressed concerns, and the pastors have said, well, we'd like to do some follow-up with you. It's not because we're necessarily saying you're not a believer. We're not the ones, the ultimate judge. We're just saying there's some evidence here that we need to look at. We don't necessarily see your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. So if that's kind of the position that you're in, then you need to ask yourself, well, is it true that I am exhibiting these virtues of a Christian? Am I exhibiting the fruit of salvation? Now, Paul draws our attention to the evidence. He says, these missionaries first you, you, you can know that you've been loved and chosen by God first because of how the gospel came to you and that the gospel came to you. Look there. He says in verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. See, Paul is saying, this is all referring here, I think, to the ministry of Paul and Silas and Timothy. Their gospel ministry to the Thessalonians. And he's saying that the proof that you are loved and chosen by God is that God has graciously sent you people with the gospel. He has sent you missionaries who are dependent on the Spirit, who bring the gospel with full conviction. That's one of the evidences that God loves his people, is that he gets the gospel to them. He gets the gospel to them. Of course, because he loves you and shows you, he is ensured that the gospel will get you. Maybe it was through a parent or a Sunday school teacher, a friend, a pastor. Either way, whoever brought the gospel to you, it is evidence of God's love and choice of you. The fact that that you've heard the gospel. Friends, I would just say as well, Sometimes the Lord works providentially in such a way that maybe the gospel doesn't come directly to you. Maybe you've been in a context where the church hasn't been preaching with full conviction the gospel. But God has providentially, through your circumstances, brought you here to this local church or to another church that preaches the gospel with conviction. And so as you trace that back, what you are to see is that that's actually evidence of God's love for you. And I would say, if you're rejecting the gospel, consider that it is the grace of God that you are hearing it today. That you are hearing it today. That God has brought you here. Many will never hear the gospel, but you have. And so you are one of the ones who are privileged to hear the good news that God saves sinners from the wrath to come through Jesus. What we see here as well, though, is a principle that in a typical church, We need convictional and truly spirit-empowered men to lead. We need them to set examples for their congregations in the way that they respond to the Word, receiving it joyfully themselves and then sharing it confidently with others. You see that pattern is they receive the Word, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, they had to receive the Word and then they share it with full conviction in the power of the Spirit. And so pastors who preach in dependence on the Spirit and with full conviction of the truth are serving actually the best interests of the church. Because it is the powerful word that saves and sanctifies. It is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. So when a church even has godly leaders who preach independence on the Spirit with full conviction, it is a sign then of God's love to a local church. When the church welcomes false teachers, it is a sign then that God has handed over those people. He's indicating, those are not my elect. You can go downtown. I, I was downtown last week, saw a sign on a church down there that could have been pulled out of any pagan literature out there. Those who are leading that church are not those who are coming with the word in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. And it's an indication then that the lampstand has been removed. So when you're in a church and you have leaders who are among you, who are serving you with the gospel, it's actually an indication, a reminder that you are chosen by God and loved by Him. I'm thankful for my brothers who are examples to me of even this kind of spirit-empowered, convictional word ministry. It's a great context to to learn and grow in. Now you see here, having set the example for how to handle and respond to the word, Paul then commends the Thessalonians because of their imitation of that. He said, You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, verses 6 and 7 there. And I would just say, I see this and your elders see this joyful reception of the word among you. And the evidence that you are truly believing the word, that you are truly receiving, is that you receive it in much affliction. You see, remember Jesus, the parable of the soils. He says there's many out there who, though the gospel is preached, and for a season, they receive the word with joy. Well, that sounds pretty good. I love a little bit of that Jesus stuff. But then what happens? Well, then Jesus says, yet it has no root in itself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Word, immediately He falls away. I thank God that you have not fallen away, but that you are receiving the Word with joy. One of the pastors in you know, a Thanksgiving, noted for your encouragement, says he remembers the growth in faith in the congregation from new faith and conversions to growing faith worked out in different relationships to mature faith and deep suffering. We've seen that. That's how faith is proven. Joy is a, it's a bit of a hard nugget to define, but basically it's this inner delight and contentment in God despite outward circumstances So to have joy in the Holy Spirit that comes from the Holy Spirit is to essentially what you could say is have a smile in the soul. A smile in the soul that takes God at his word. And even, like that Proverbs 31 woman, can laugh at the future because you know it is secure and happy in Christ. That's what produces joy. And so I praise God that you keep coming here, you keep receiving the word with joy even as you face afflictions. We're a normal church in that sense. We face many afflictions. Some of you have been rejected by family for your convictions. Some have lost inheritances because you love Jesus. Some have been diagnosed with diseases and yet smile at the future, yet knowing that Christ will raise you. You've lost court battles. You've endured living with an unbelieving spouse. You've seen your children forsake the faith. You desire marriage, but you still remain single. You have your spouse break covenant. You've been dangerously close to breaking covenant yourself. You've buried children. You've cut off engagements. You've lost friends to COVID and due to differences over COVID. Many afflictions. We've all faced many afflictions. And yet I thank God that you are continuing to receive the word, even the hard sayings in the word, to receive it with joy, with a delight in God. One of the pastors here noted, His thanks to God because he sees that though people in this church have sinned greatly and they've been sinned against greatly, you have discovered that the gospel is for forgiveness, not performance. You've rested in the good news. That's what produces joy, is you recognize the goodness of the gospel. You recognize that you've been delivered from the wrath to come, as we're going to look at here in a moment. That there is forgiveness of your sins. And so you've even been able to labor in love to extend that forgiveness to others. It's evidence that you were loved and chosen by God. But you not only receive the word, you also share it with confidence and integrity, which brings me to the third and final feature that I thank God for. When I see you and your elders, when we see you, we thank God because you are a witness to the world even as you wait for the sun to return from heaven. You are a witness to the world while you wait for the sun to return from heaven. Look at verses 8 through 10. They write, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. It was such that their ministry was one of a reverberation of the word. It was sounding forth. It was echoing from them. See, church isn't just what happens here on Sunday morning in the pulpit. Though this is important, the word is to sound forth. That's what a typical church does. It sounds forth as you go to the highways and the byways. It sounds forth from them. And notice, notice the local, the national, and even the international ministry of this church as well. It's in Thessalonica, but also to Macedonia and Achaia, which were surrounding regions and also everywhere. Typical churches think beyond themselves. They are so eager to get the gospel to the world, to surrounding regions, to the uttermost parts of the earth, because the word has gripped them. The gospel has gripped them. They've been moved to receive it with the joy of the Holy Spirit, and they want others to experience that joy as well. And so as the gospel was shared with them, they shared the gospel in word. So that old saying... Share the gospel, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. You can file 13 that one. At our outreach events, people were engaging in gospel conversations. I've seen many of you reach out and ask for prayer as you engage with family members over the holidays. The word has reverberated from this church, but also, you have not only shared in word, you have shared by example. Your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. And the particular work of faith that this church in Thessalonica was known for was how they treated and received these gospel missionaries, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy. It says, for they themselves, that is, these surrounding regions, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. It was well known that the Thessalonians were a receptive church, not just to the gospel, but to those who brought the gospel to them. Missionaries and preachers. What I would say is, Calvary Grace Church, you are an exemplary church in how you receive God's word and also those who teach God's word, specifically even us pastors. I thank God for you as I remember that. See, a typical church receives good teachers. And you'd think that that is common, You think that's just like common sense. Well, yeah, a church is going to receive good preachers. It's, It's going to receive these ones who are bringing the gospel. But sadly, that is not the case in this region, which is why I say you are a typical church in an atypical region, even as the Thessalonians were. Many of the established churches here in this region of central southern Alberta do not receive men who preach and teach the word with power, in reliance upon the Spirit, and with full conviction even as Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, and even the Lord himself did. Instead, many churches crave leaders who can gather a crowd, they'll build an institution, they'll keep people happy, they'll provide a bit of a therapeutic service. They emphasize the free will of man as the center of all theology. Now perhaps this seems like too sharp of a judgment, and just pointing fingers. And of course we need to examine ourselves first. But I ask you this, where are the churches whose pastors have retired or are about to retire that are eager to receive men like Paul, Savannah, and Timothy? If anybody knows, where are they? I know, of, I know of several men in my small circle of friends who are eager to preach the gospel. And yet, if they were to come, like the Apostle Paul, and if they were to put on their application, well, I firmly believe that God elects some to salvation. Paul believes it. I I firmly believe that God elects some to salvation based on his sovereign will. I believe that repentance from idolatry is absolutely necessary. That there is one true and living God and that His Son, Jesus, is the only one who can rescue you from the wrath to come by His sacrifice. That the Son is returning, and He has risen from the dead. If you were to put on the application that we ought to be careful of who we give assurance of salvation to, and see that there's evidence of the new birth, I'd say most churches would chuck that application in the garbage. Now, I say that by way of contrast. Not to puff you up, but by way of contrast, because when I see you, and I talk with you, I see a church who is very receptive to the gospel. A church who loves to receive the word, who loves to receive the word even as it comes with conviction in the power of the Spirit. If all your pastors drop dead tomorrow, which might be a challenge. But if all your pastors drop dead tomorrow, I have complete confidence in this church that you would find men to fill our slots who will be preaching the gospel next week. I do. I have complete confidence in this church. And I thank God for it. It's evidence of His grace at work in you. And also the evidence is that you are a repentant people you are a serving people, and you are a waiting people. See, Paul commends the Thessalonians in their public witness because they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for a son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. See, it's often in the case, in the situation of much affliction, that we are tempted to idols. We're always tempted that way because we have the flesh, But then when trials come, when afflictions come, we're really tempted to go find refuge and seek security in something other than God. It's the way we are as sinners. And that's why you need to be on your guard when afflictions come. Because your flesh will compel you to retreat to finding security and acceptance and love and even an opportunity for control and manipulation in something other than God. Idols seem to be the easy escape, but they always enslave. We become servants of those things that are no gods at all and can at best provide temporary security and satisfaction for the soul, but ultimately leave us wanting more and ultimately do not rescue us from the wrath to come. See, true freedom, true eternal security, true acceptance is found in the living and true God. So Christian, I say to you, when you are drawn towards idols, to worship anything other than God as ultimate in your life, to find security in them, remember that it is God who is the living and true God. And because we're all craving security, we're all craving acceptance, right? That's what these idols are. Why do men indulge in pornography? They want to escape into something that gives them control and acceptance. Why are people so codependent on one another? Why why are they so afraid and they capitulate on their doctrine because they don't want people to judge them? Well, they want acceptance. They want security for the future. Christian, when you are drawn to these and other kinds of idols, we remember that God is the living and true God and that we have all the security now and for eternity that we need. We have been a people who are under wrath because of our sin, but now we have been rescued from wrath by the work of the Son who has been raised from the dead and who is going to raise us as well. So what have you been covering? Coveting? What have you been craving? What have you been demanding? This will show you, in a sense, what your idols are. What are you unsatisfied with unless you have? What do you demand? If you're enticed by the idol of feeling loved and accepted, well, then you remember and recall the gospel that you are loved and chosen by God. Are you tempted to be a people pleaser because you don't want to face their judgment? Well, then you remember that there is no judgment left for you. You have been rescued from the wrath to come. See, this is actually how the gospel helps us root out sin and temptations to idolatry. You have all that you need in God the Father who chose you before all time and who sets his love upon you. You have all you need through the Son, Jesus, who came and has rescued you from the wrath to come by bearing that wrath in himself. And who is coming again to raise all those who believe in him. And you have all that you need, even the power of the Holy Spirit who is continuing to do the good work in you. He will continue to make you even an even more typical church, that's my encouragement for you, is that you would be a people who then continue to rely on the Spirit and the Word, who run with confidence to Christ to rescue you, and who rest securely, knowing that you are loved and chosen by God. Let's pray. Father, as we've heard your Word and we are confronted by our own sin We are thankful that you are a God who redeems sinners, who rescues us from the wrath to come. May it be so for any here today who have not been rescued, that today would be the day of rescue. And that this would be a day in which they rest and rejoice in the joy of the Holy Spirit, that they have been rescued. And for those who have, we ask that you would help us to excel in these things, give encouragement to these saints. We ask for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing together. There's only rescue from the wrath to come in Jesus Christ. If you don't know this, if you don't have confidence, then come talk to one of the pastors, talk to somebody else. But for those who are believing and have been rescued, hear this benediction, even from the end of Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That's our confidence, friends. Go in peace.